0: Love Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Coach Randy Blumendahl, and this is the Coach's Corner. And wow, it's it's great to be back on uh, my shows here, and, and uh, we're going to try to do this every Sunday. Um, I'm back in South Carolina. I'm excited about that. Good to be back in, in South Carolina again, and uh, um, today's show is is really something I've been looking forward to for a long time, but before before we talk about the show, I want to give a special thanks to J.P. Weber and the Yellow Ball Network for everything that he does to continue this great thing that we've got going here and, and help get the information out to people, Um Today's show i I've been thinking for a while you know how do we need to get information to the parents about the right coaches at the right time? How do you do that? Um, it's a very confusing process. There's a lot of traps out there today in tennis, but there also is a tremendous amount of opportunity if you do it the right way. so I've been trying to put together. Over time, what is a simple format where we can kind of talk things through, and you have a little list of how to look forward, or how to look for certain things, for certain traits in coaches at the right level. So that's what we're going to talk about today, and I've got a special guest today, Coach Chuck Creasy, who, in my mind is the best coach I've ever been around. And, um, you know, we could go on and on about um, all that he's accomplished in tennis and everything that he's done over the years, but his eyes are tremendous. And this is something that I've seen – I saw years ago he was very good at. Not only was he good at recognizing where players were at at certain times with all the reps that he had in, but also he was very good at seeing – where coaches were at and what they were good at at that time, and then getting them reps in other areas where they could eventually progress on to a different level of coaching. And that's very important as we move forward. What happens, unfortunately, is sometimes we box in coaches to where they, you know, feel like they can't progress on any level, and everybody kind of gets frustrated in that process And then the second thing that happens is sometimes the coach will cling on to a player and the levels have changed two or three times above what they have enough reps to help the player get good at, and they end up kind of holding the player back. And I don't think anyone that's in this game that, you know, really wants to To help it out and help the players out want to be in that position but you don't see yourself you just feel yourself so sometimes you just get stuck in that position we in the U.S. have more than enough talent we've identified one problem that has happened with our administration which which has slowed our players down but the biggest problem in my mind is the coaches we have got to really get structured with our coaching, but it's more than structured. We've got to get inspired by what we're doing. We have to have people around us that can tell us where we're currently at, and we have to put in reps the right way in uncomfortable situations, and that's not currently going on. Um, So there's a lot of of pitfalls, a lot of traps out there, And I'm going to go into that here just in a second. But before I do, I want, as I introduce Coach Creasy to you, I wanted him to talk a little bit about, we talked, oh, it was months ago or a year or so ago about Horse Whisper. It was a, you know, a documentary that was out there. And then how do you find that type of person in coaching when you get to certain levels, because, you know, as we go through all of this and we start talking about what you need to look for in coaches, what you'll see is a lot of that is a very similar trait to, and I would recommend that documentary, the horse Whisperer. But I, at this time, I'm going to turn it over to coach Creasy and let him tell a story a little bit about horse Whisperer, and then come back. And we're going to talk about a few things that you should look for with uh, coaches Coach Creasy,
1: yeah. Hey, thanks, Coach, for having me on. I appreciate it a lot. And uh, boy, this is a big topic, a very, very important topic, I should say. Um, you know, you know, the thing is, it's uh, first of all, just talk about coaches. Uh, sadly, most are under-respected. Sometimes they're underappreciated. Sometimes they're over. Speculate. In other words, people put too much on them, uh, but it's it's very confusing. Uh, I've always, I always wanted to be a coach because to me the coaches were the people I respected most in my life. Uh, those were the people I know that made a huge difference in all the sports that I coached or all the sports that I played. But uh, there there's um they are the single most important person in the athlete's life and career and the parents need to understand that and they need to understand there's not one perfect coach for one perfect kid if somebody's doing great with a youngster doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be doing great with your youngster you have to as a parent find the the right person there's no cookie cutter uh perfect cookie cutter coach the kids here here's the deal though You've got to coach their hearts. You've got to coach the insides of them as much as the outside. Um, players are made from the inside out. And you said something that was very interesting just now. You said that players can't see themselves, they only feel themselves. Well, that's exactly right. No player can see themselves hit a ball, walk, run, what their strokes look like. Now, of course, we have the great advantage of videos now that we uh, didn't used to have and things they can see afterwards and you can use video analysis and things but at the same time when they're executing uh you you must still coach players from the inside out but uh, to talk about the horse whisper type coach uh, actually i've got a son that plays baseball and um with with my son um Coach actually you said that we there's baseball with youth is a lot like base uh, tennis with youth. Everybody is out there trying to help their kids at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 get the base where they can go out and be a world champion and uh, boy it's it's something the amount of baseball people that are out there uh, everybody sets up these uh, Butler buildings and uh, they go into these uh, garages and butler buildings and things and they'll coach the kids and I didn't know, even if I'd been in athletics and coaching myself 46, 47 years, I was very confused by baseball and you basically told me one time, try to get somebody that coaches the heart or somebody to try to get a that horse whisper type person and um, the whole purpose of getting the right person is that the kids need to learn from the inside out and develop the hunger of an inquisitive mind. What is the most important quality of a championship athlete? Well, it's the hunger of an inquisitive mind. Now, let me just just finish here real quickly here by saying nothing in our society lately has inspired me to think that kids are developing the hunger of an inquisitive mind. They are They are primarily... Look, computers give us the answers. Cell phones give us the answers. And and the kids are basically becoming mosaic think- thinkers, piecemeal thinkers. They want an answer, they look it up. And uh, the amount of information coming at us, it's great. Look, it's great that we have uh, the cell phones and the information coach. But kids can go look up things and that's nice, however, there's nothing about getting instant information, an instant um, answer that really stimulates their, their hunger to, to seek out more things. I, I really believe that it's, it's a huge, huge trap that kids fall into and parents fall into it thinking that there's an answer, answer to how to get your kids better. Each kid is different. There's not a cookie-cutter way to doing it. There's not one pathway. I usually usually say there is a highway or an expressway with different ways of getting good at this sport of tennis. But the the, the cell phones are basically hijacking the dopamine faucet of the brain, first of all, with the kids, where the kids do not develop an inquisitive mind. They don't have to suffer enough to get the opportunities they don't have to suffer enough to get the answers. They don't have to suffer through failure enough to give them the necessary motivation to get things. So, yeah, that that right person. I we've got a like a 73-year-old guy that's just pretty amazing. He's a he's right, he's the right guy for my son and we go every 2 weeks, parents. Every 2 weeks, once every 2 weeks and he pours into my son my son takes it and goes to work on his own and uh, I'm getting a big buzz out of it as a parent to see my son falling in love with the game of baseball but uh we've got to do the same thing in tennis so that's pretty much what we're trying to do coach
0: thank thank
1: you coach and and uh
0: we talk a lot about this guy that your your son goes to one thing that you you all every week when you tell me some of the things that he does with your son Paul and his baseball. Um, I get excited. I pull out my own notepad. I can't, you know, like some of this stuff is is wow. I mean,
1: you you don't get that kind of coaching. Can, can I give you an idea for this yeah. last week? Okay, so I have to drive my son an hour and a half, and um, he's sort of reading this article on the way up there, and I said, "What is this?" He said, "Well." Coach uh, while he wanted me to to uh, read this. I said, well, what is it? And I looked at it. It was about the Chinese bamboo tree. I said, well, this doesn't have much to do about baseball, but it does. It has everything to do with baseball or tennis or learning. The Chinese bamboo tree basically is when you get a Chinese bamboo play- tree and you plant it, you have to water it and fertilize it and nurture it. For one, nothing shows. One year, two years, nothing shows. Three years, nothing shows. Four years, nothing shows. Then the fifth year, it starts growing, and it grows something like 60 or 70 feet in, in eight weeks. And where did all the growth happen? Well, it was all underground, the root system. And then, wow, what just happened? We just had a boy on our team hit the Citadel, have a big breakthrough, And it's taken three years. It's one of those, holy cow, what just happened there? And, again, the the Chinese bamboo tree. But that's tremendous wisdom. And nobody wants to know about, uh, nobody wants to wait and do all the right things through faith and through belief and through nurturing, through caring and through doing and persisting and all those things that you have to do and the many failures you have to do. So parents, uh, you know, the biggest thing is, Parents need to just be very wise about understanding that this is more like growing the Chinese bamboo tree than it is growing a corn stalk in Indiana or somewhere where it grows in two months, bears fruit, and falls over. Absolutely. And that documentary that I was
0: talking about with the horse whisperer, there was a movie out with Robert Redford. That's not the – it's a documentary, and the documentary is called Buck. And it's about Buck Brennerman, and and I would I would recommend that to any parent to watch. And and when you watch it, just watch how he handles what he's doing and in the mastery of it. Um, shifting gears, I I want to talk a little bit about the traps, um, and I've got five traps that I want to. I want to go through one by one. So so get your paper and pencil out. These are these are some of the areas where you're like, "Well, hey, where do we get stuck?" You know, I you, you don't want to talk about, "Hey, this person's not the right coach" because coaches are, you know, they they shouldn't really be talking about it. You've got to kind of figure it out. They should be talking about each other. You have to figure out what's going on. But where did they get stuck? And then we need to get these coaches in line with learning and teaching the right things. So I want to briefly go through this. Get your paper, pencil out. These are five things. They're not in any particular order. And then I would like Coach Creasy kind of to comment on, you know, his experience with these. The first one is uh, you've got these coaches out there that they explain in great detail one pathway
1: for all players. Now, Coach, why does that not work? Well, I mean, that's just like uh, <laughs> in sports, one way never fits all. I've always used this example. If you put the bag over the top of 10 different players, and there were 10 of the top 20 players in the world, and you just watch their strokes and their method and the way they hit the ball and the way that you reacted, every there, there would be 10 different ways of doing. Guess what? There would be... Twenty different ways of doing it, and top 100 there's a hundred different ways of doing it. So there's not a cookie cutter way of doing this. However, there's similarities with some of the with some of the grips and some of the stroke techniques and how fluid you have to be in the chain, uh, the kinetic chain from the feet to the hands and all this. But the bottom line on the thing is your unique style is your unique style. And you better have your unique style because even if you get good with somebody else's style, the best you can ever be is an, is an imposter or somebody is an is a imitator. So you've got to be number one in the world of being yourself, number one. And, but there is more than one pathway. That In the United States, we – and I think people find security in just thinking, look, I've got the right way of doing it. And that's the worst thing. As a coach, even I know this, I've got 15 players on my team. There's 15 different ways that they do it. But guess what? There's 15 different ways I have to approach them. And guess what? There's 15 different ways that they learn skills. And you have to really nurture who they are and, and, and what is inside of them. And you've got to find a way whether they are Kinesthetic learners, whether the repetitive learners, whether visual, and in all of these things, look, you're not going to get it perfect either. It's on the player to use whatever is around them. But the worst thing we could ever do is that cookie cutter thing of there's a pathway. I hate that. Look, there should be an expressway or a highway or a freeway of becoming a champion. And our organizations out there need to say, this is the goal. Go get it. But to think that there's a pathway, it's just it's just wrong. There's more than one pathway. All right. The next
0: thing is, and I yeah,
1: is uh,
0: coach the coach wants to fix problems, so they walk up to you and they start talking immediately about problems, and sometimes they create problems to fix them. Now the the the, the one of the things that hits me as I say that is. The parents don't always know what the problems are, so they're not quite sure. And this sounds really smart from the, you know, when with parents, you know, oh, this coach cares. He's come up to me and they they talk about all these problems. My, um, no, they my child had. Yeah. yeah. What what what's wrong with that? Like, how come that is? Why does that not
1: work? And where does where does that lead the player? Well, first of all, I've never seen a champion that didn't have flaw in his game, his game or her game. And I mean, Federer might be the closest to being pure, just beautiful player. But I mean, players, you know, didn't didn't like Sampras's, um, you know, forehand. His running forehand was good. His cross court to cross court. People didn't like certain things about the way Agassi volleys or, you know, is. Uh, How's the net game for Nadal? Everybody's got stuff that's not great, but here's the point I wanted to make. Ned Caswell is a very, very top coach. He's up there in Tennessee, but I heard him give a talk to parents one time, and he said this. He said, look, if you got two people fighting and one person has two four-foot swords and then one person has a five-foot sword and a three-foot sword, who's going to win? Well, it's the five-foot and the three-foot sword's going to win. So what we normally do is we all only work on our weaknesses instead of accentuating the excellence in the person. The best thing you can do is say, what is my son or my daughter's best chance for greatness? What What is their best strength? You nurture that strength. You grow that strength. You build that strength. Whether it's a forehand, a backhand, or whether it's movement or whatever it is, you make them feel great about it. Their good becomes great, and guess what? Their, their bad stroke becomes adequate. And, and, and that coach, it's, it really bothers me when coaches walk up and say, I can fix that at backhand, and then they change the grip or they change this. And that's the, that's the stupidest thing you could do after a certain point. After 15 or 16, you don't do that. It's like changing a, a person's jump shot. Are changing a pretty now there's stuff. I mean, maybe Tim Tebow should have learned a shorter back take on his uh throwing motion, shorter throwing motion earlier. There's some things out there like that, but it takes some very skilled eyes to see that. But I see so many young coaches walk up and say, Oh man, need to change grip on that forehand, and then it takes the kid about three years to get his forehand halfway decent again, and you don't do that. You've, you've got to basically. It takes a lot of skill set because the whole patterns of the point, the shot selection, everything has to do with this the sequencing of things from the time the kids ten to sixteen or whatever it is. Yeah. And so, so you know.
0: So in following that up, the the forehands and backhands probably don't mess with that.
1: I don't mess with ground strokes after age fifteen at all.
0: The, I, look, the I serve
1: I, and the coach. Okay. I, I look. I, I'm. I think volleys. There's so little movement with volleys, and there's technical things that have to be exact. Your volleys are almost all technique, because your your 70% of the power comes from the opponent, 30% is you. Your technique has to be good there, so you've got to have a kind of a backhand grip. You've got to be able to do those. you you've got to correct those things. Um, your serve. If you have a power leak in the serve. A lot of times you can correct it with a stance, with some simple, simple uh, motor motor uh, mechanic. But ground strokes, don't mess with ground strokes parents after age 15 or 60. Don't mess with them. That's their signature. You can make a few adjustments with footwork. Like we've got a youngster on my team, his forehand is way, you know, he gets picked on out wide on his forehand because too much western. Well, we work on just getting his footwork squared more, and working on this one shot, keeping it simple as cross court to cross court, and his running forehand that he takes from the guy goes down line and he pulls across court. We work on the footwork a little bit to where he can handle that ball, but you don't take away from that great inside out forehand he's got.
0: Yeah, because the problem is that what you end up doing is you end up maybe and it's the sword thing that you just talked about you maybe end up helping their weakness slightly but you take away their strength
1: completely you make a four foot sword and a three foot and a half sword so you really so the next the next thing I had the next
0: thing we need to write down was um the 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 coach explains flaws doesn't See the unique greatness. Now, this is something I think takes a lot of years. Yeah. But I constantly hear these sales guys—you know, these guys out there selling—you know, this is what I can do on the court, and they'll go through every flaw, every flaw.
1: But we you all know our child, child is, has a unique. You got to see the unique greatness in every youngster. Every one of them has a unique greatness. The word is unique. Agreed, agreed. Cookie cutter
0: technique with lots of gimmicks. How come that doesn't work?
1: Well, <laughs> you're number one in the world of being you, but even if you copy Federer perfectly or uh, Madison Keys perfectly as a female, you're going to be an imitation. But where so, YouTube is full of videos right now, of these little gimmicks and
0: stuff. I mean, and parents
1: love that. Look, 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 look. It's just like a baseball swing or anything. There are similar biomechanic things that matter. You know, I mean, racket speed matters. Keeping the ball in the contact or the racket in the contact zone matters. Footwork matters. This is the way I've gotten to the place where I teach this way I teach lower body. I teach lower body overlearn 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 till it's perfect because it's so fast now that there is a almost a perfect similarity to the movement to the ball and recovery from the ball that you hit. I say that's mechanical lower body, upper body is kinesthetic though. I let the guys go a lot picking out their own style. However, Years ago we used to do it backwards. We used to make the upper body mechanical and the lower body I mean in Guligan, I remember her, she used about twice as many steps as most of the other women. Chris Everett was sorta of perfect the way she did things. I mean, with the difference in the rackets, yeah, you had being more mechanical gave you a long you know, longer hitting zone, gave you a bit more consistency in those things. But now the technology has allowed Lots of different styles. The upper body, I like it being kinesthetic. But more, the heart of the athlete is unique. And when you have a kinesthetic person, a person who is feels first, thinks second, you know, you've got to teach them from the inside out. Now, some people are more mechanical and look at it in a different way. But everybody's not different. And the first statement you made, Coach, was, It takes years and years and years of working with hundreds of players before you really come up with a a style that is going to maximize the unique potential of that athlete. The last
0: trap I had, I remember this story that Steve Smith told me years ago. He said, you know, uh, tennis promotes our sparring partners up to coaches and and i was thinking well what's he he said look look in boxing do you think it would ever happen in boxing that the sparring partner would be the coach and i just kind of looked at i was like well where is he going with this so and i remember what we talked about but sparring partners you know, that's a big trap in tennis. You get these guys, they, they're still playing, they're playing well, and they're, I, they're learning how to coach. But sometimes we promote them up into a position that they're not ready for. Why is that, Coach? Why why are, well, are those you, guys are not you, ready? Are
1: you saying that um, a lot of times the players that don't make it, as players, they go into coaching, we promote them into coaching instead of making coaches coaches? or. I don't think there's a simple formula for that, uh, Coach Wimdall. I, um, You're right. I mean, if you think about it, we really do not have a system that trains the coaches. You, look, you cannot go take any training program and be an excellent coach. I don't think there are any great young coaches. I'm sorry to say that if you're young out there. I just think it takes so many reps of successes and failures along the way. It takes the the older people with the older eyes, with the very knowledgeable eyes, with the wisdom to make the right moves. I, I would never trust my son or my daughter with a coach that's, that's really young for uh, anything else except maybe mo- some motivation and some hitting. But to make the the unique moves, it takes a a long time. But the sparring partner thing, yeah, we promote uh, a lot of the shoulda, woulda, coulda been players into coaching. But uh, I think a real coach is just a teacher who's looking for the answers, endlessly searching for the correct answers. Absolutely. You have to have thousands and thousands Thousands of reps reps. in that.
0: And and you don't always get the reps in – uh, where you don't at all get the reps in as a player. I mean, it's a different set no, of reps. No, 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 and, Completely and, different. And those reps do matter. And eventually, you'll learn how to translate that into your coaching, but it doesn't happen immediately.
1: Well, I mean, let's let's go there. Let's. Um, there's some tour coaches that are. They go out there and they. I mean, you got a Paul Anacone that was you know coaches out there on the pro tour. I think Lendl's out there coaching, but the world's most renowned coaches were they great players themselves? Not always. Not I'd say less than fifty percent. Um, definitely in other sports. I mean, you look at it. Bobby Knight never played professional basketball. He was number six guy at Ohio State. Was Bill? Was Belichick a pro football player?
0: No, I don't believe so.
1: I, I don't I, think he was yeah. too. Tom Landry, I think played. Vince Lombardi was not, he, you know, he ended up, he was coaching at Fordham initially. And then he got his break as an assistant with the uh, assistant to the New York Giants. Then he went to green Bay, but really the coaching is a big, big full bag of many, many different skill sets, you know? So I, I don't, I don't know. I just think that, uh, there's a lot of great coaches out there that can't beat their players and they should not be able to. It's just like Bobby Knight couldn't beat any of his players in basketball. I'm going to change, change up a little bit. We're going to make a different list
0: here. Now it's going to be the list of attributes that you should be looking for in a coach as as you look for your coach. These are the things that you it sh- it should – The light bulb should go off. You should hear him talk about these things. You go, okay, this guy could be my horse whisper guy. The coach understands developing a player is level-based, not age-based, but the levels are divided in two equal parts, maturity and skill. Why is that important? Why is it
1: important? Well, you're exactly right. If you want to put in a nutshell – Exactly why we're so slow in developing players in the United States is we go by age-based. We have 10 and under 12 and under 14 and under 16 and under 18 and under college. And by the time the kids get through the jumping through the hoops the third or fourth time, uh, I mean it's sort of redundant. Didn't I already get good? No, I guess not. Now I'm bad again. I'm in an upper age group. Oop, didn't I get no, I got bad again. So they get good, get bad, get good, get bad. Really, I think that's why this UTR thing is is a good thing, but it should be skill based and not age based. One of the best ideas I've heard. Oh gosh, what is a good the top coach there in Atlanta? Really good one. He said, "Look, we're just if we're going to have rankings, the UTR is a good thing. Now it's a rating system, but." You ought to have every junior player in the United States listed on the same ranking, the 18s to the 14s for sure. And then what you want to do is just say, hey, I'm I'm number 256 in the United States of all players. Oh, by the way, let's pull out all the 14-year-old players. Oh, guess what? I'm number nine as far as all the 14-year-olds. That's the way we ought to do it because the kid's, Again, it should be skill based development, not not age based and I just think it's just was a simple way to do it and they didn't think through it and they didn't understand what the heck they were doing as far as holding so many kids back as far as their skill development. And there are places in the world where they do that. Um Yeah, there are in Asia actually what ITF has fourteen and under and eighteen and under, I think. Only, but I remember, you know, gosh, when I worked in Thailand, you were ranked 18 and under, basically. I mean, they might have had some subdivisions there, but, 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 you, look, it should be a skill-developed sport. It's, it's like when kids start to run and they start to learn things. You let, you gotta open, open it up and let them run to the head of the pack. We sort of lasso our kids and bring them back in. We don't let the cream rise. We bring it back and stir too many times.
0: The next one, the coach is able to give direction to a player when there's adversity or a problem with a common understanding of the level, but but an answer that's unique to the child. So there's a, a commonality to their approach but then they give an answer that's unique to their child. Um, when problems occur, or when they get hit, which is going to happen in tennis, correct? You're going to get hit with adversity. Um, it is, it's a tough sport
1: when you dive below the forehands and backhands. Well, we, we like to genericize everything, and we like to name it, name it, claim it, blame it, I think, with, with problems some athletes have. We're real quick to say, oh, hey, this is happening. This person, this happens a lot, and you know there are similarities. And, and but again, every athlete is unique. Every athlete needs to be trained from the inside out. I always uh, I put this level of relationships down. See if this makes sense. There are five levels of relationships: cliches, facts, opinion, feelings, and needs. From the least depth to the greatest depth. Cliches and facts. So everybody stays at cliches and facts. What's going on? Not much. How are you? And then facts are like, hey, he won that match, 6'3, 6'4. Hey, by the way, he's got a good forehand. Now we're talking about opinions. But then the depth that you need to coach, it's just like a good teacher. You have got to could you imagine? I think at the beginning levels of like music, art, sport anything you might be able to just coach the outside but again I think you're going to go into the depth of the different kinds of coaching to different levels I think you were going to say the difference between introductory coaches and to all the way to championship coaches I think that's where we're botching it up we uh we'll go to opinions but we don't again coach the heart you coach the heart of the athlete not just the skill set Absolutely, and and we are going to talk about that as we get through the
0: list. Uh, the The next thing that I have is uh, the coach values failures in ugly as a big part of the child's development. Now, this is one that, I, I mean, I just don't see too many coaches out there anymore. If they are, if they do value that, they're definitely not advertising it. And
1: why is that important? Well, it, it's a litmus test. When you fail, what do you do next? When you fail, you either bail or you take, you know, uh, chicken do and make – in chicken salad, you make lemons into lemonade. Uh, there's two kinds. The kids are quit or they recommit. When you fail, you, co- you quit or you recommit. But it's the halfway failing that the kids do now, Coach, that is really troublesome. In other words, they'll say they're still trying, they stay in the game, but they sort of pull the plug. They don't go to the depth of the intensity or of the heart in the competition. And again, it's our own fault for treating this like a game, instead more like a sport. From the, This is a tough, tough, this is a gladiator sport. This is a very tough sport when you play one-on-one and there's nowhere to hide and there's not a helmet on your head to where other people cannot see, you, you know, the your face or the frown on your face or what's going on. It It is so personal when you play tennis that the kids, the most important thing they have to learn is that when they fail, they've got to recommit. But halfway quitting or quitting all the way makes them a tweener. That makes them a cafeteria competitor. Oh, what a bad, bad deal that is. I would say there's a lot of cafeteria competitors out there with their youngsters. So, again, if the kids commit their heart enough when they're learning, when they're training, they don't give up, and they will not quit. They go back again and again and again and again until they get it right. And can you
0: explain a little bit about the ugly like the ugly stuff like it's a major part of process to get better and i would say most of the commercial stuff that i've seen out there they're they're so reluctant for any of that to show up they go oh if the parent sees that they're not going to want to come back so you know but if they don't go through that that's like i used to hear you know like we have to get the right reps in you know, and it was always these younger coaches that never understood what the, the right reps, reps, reps were. Losing. Yeah. yeah. Reps at losing. What, what are the right reps? I mean, you know, how do you get to the point where it's pretty? you got to go through all this other well,
1: stuff. You know, here, let me, let me say something. When I say uh, reps at losing, a lot of people say, oh, well, I'll always play up. I was telling a parent actually today, this is how you get the right reps, Um when your youngster does the right thing and they lose, you put them right back out on the court to play again, and try to try to get turn bad pain into good pain. When the when the youngster does the right thing and they win, you let them sit on it three or four days. Uh, for example, my team, my guy, I got a guy that got a great win this last week, and I'm feeding him more and more wins against lesser players. To build off of that, and then I'll throw in the uh tougher opponent here very soon. but then, if the person does the wrong thing and they lose, you make them sit on it. The youngster will say, hey, "'Let me play him again, no, 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 he's better, and if she's better than you right now, I'll make them sit on it and smolder, and I'll allow them to hurt and then when the the if the kid does the wrong thing and they are just their cafeteria competitors. And they get a win, and they're full of themselves. I'll get them beat that day. I'll call in the big guns and have them them smacked down right away so they they don't go. So there's right right reps and bad reps. But the thing is, the pain, sometimes the ugly wins are the ones that propel you, and the painful losses are the ones that propel you. Losing is part of this deal. You can say – uh, you you can lose, but you're never defeated, and that's the way that you you have to be. And breakdowns usually happen before breakthroughs. With players, uh, almost always when they have their most devastating loss, they usually have their best breakthrough afterwards too. But coaches have to recognize that. Parents have to understand that. You know, I my son's trying out for baseball high school team here pretty soon, and gosh, he wants to make the team, and oh, man, he could get cut, and I've already said, if he gets cut, it's all for the good, let's see what he's got under the hood, if he's really, really hungry, and really desires to be excellent, if he makes it, let him do it with honor, and be the hardest worker out there, but uh, that's just tough being a parent, it's easy, actually. It's easier being a coach, coach, than it is to be a parent, the coach doesn't use a lot of
0: words to explain very complicated problems. Why is this important?
1: Huh. You know, that's a great question. That's a great question, but I use a lot of rhymes and loaded language because, um, first of all, if you can keep it simple, it means that a lot of other people are having the same problems. And I'll... (laughs) You know, pain engages – whether it's pain engages brain or pain goes away, the work you do stays. Don't get mad, get better. I mean, we you know, there's lots of things that coaches will say. Breakdowns happen before breakthroughs. Well, and
0: one thing that hit me as you were talking – we were talking a few weeks ago and we were talking about, you know, a uh, lot of different sports shows that are out there and how players now are programmed mm-hmm. to say – certain things because they think yeah, commercially you, you, you they can a, make get more you get a money. recording. You get a recording. But if you them. go back a number of years and you listen to players talk about tennis, they literally sounded like those caveman movies, like a couple of gr- Oh, how'd you hit Thompson? Oh, oh, oh. you know, like, it, it wasn't like they don't know. I've heard the stories over and over again. Hey, we had Pete Sampras on the court, and he was talking about – his forehand, he didn't even know what you know. He couldn't explain what grip. He knows what grip. He couldn't explain what grip to uh, you know lower level play. They they don't think like that. Players think almost like like cavemen and cave It's
1: very very simple. I must beat this person. <laughs> yes,
0: hit forehand over. Like they're not saying, hey, I've got to put the racket at this angle and spin the ball over. If they think like that, they can never compete. They can't compete in any sport, let alone a one v one gladiator sport where you've got another competitor on the other side of the net. So uh, it has to be very concise, automatic responses on the way they're, they're thinking each and every you know. Time well,
1: a paralysis. You don't want paralysis by analysis, and and and, and uh, for the loaded language part of that, and that's what we do. Um, again, I think that there's a time for mechanical learning and stuff, and you, you give it to the youngsters and you have them work on things, but the bottom line on the thing, the kinesthetic, the inside out, is, is, is really really what, what uh, gets them the, um, up and, up and beyond. It's the inside out. The coach is looking at mastering your child's greatness, not forehands and backhands. Right. Well, you're trying to give them a venue or an avenue to compete, but also to let the inside of their – without the competitive greatness, there there is a part of, of all of us that – when we're put in that position, whether it's fight or flight or whether it's just to conquer a goal or whether we're ambitious, but everybody wants to win once they're on the court. Some people more want to win more than others, and some people will do anything to win it sometimes. But the bottom line on the thing is it's tennis gives us a vehicle to go out and to release, have a – total release performance I talk about a lot to athletes trp total release performance how do you get the athlete to completely release what they're doing now you have to work hard enough first so you trust all your skills when you're on the court but then it is a reckoning with the battle that you're about to go to just say look I'm not in charge of much here other than my effort and how I'm going to compete and this is what it looks like whether I win or lose and Bring it on, man. We're going to be a hundred percent of who we are right now.
0: Very good, very good. So,
1: though that's the list. So
0: now you have a list of, you know, some traps that you could fall into and possibly identify the wrong coach, or maybe your player or your son or daughter has moved on um, and they need a different level of coach, or you know, and then you have a list of explaining really where, what what the coach should be talking about when uh, when they're kind of clued into the right thing for your son or daughter. So moving forward, there's different levels that every player is at at different times. And And there are coaches that some of them just have an aptitude to do well in those levels. And some of them have a lot of reps in those levels or a little bit of both. And, you know, so they're, they're very good. And and ideally, and I I remember talking to somebody about this uh, with, uh, you know, other um, countries are, are doing this on a higher level maybe than we are. And there is a relationship that you have to build with players, but, if you can pass your player along, um, boy, that can help out if you can do it at the right time. Um, you know, there's things that get in the way maybe um, with that, and we can talk about that at different times. But for your, for your eyes, as we go through this list, let's talk now about what exactly, what kind of skill set we're looking for at different levels of a player's development. So the first level, when a kid first starts out, your, your son or daughter first start uh, playing tennis, what should we be looking for? What, what type of coach? I mean, uh, you know, Well, I, uh, you'd say
1: fundamentals, but it's gotta be, there's gotta be fun in the fundamental. Fun it is fun. Fun in the, fun in the fundamentals. Fundamentals. Yeah. Cause the it's, kid's got to fall in love. It is right? an introductory coach. Yeah. Uh, somebody that gets enthusiasm going. We have a lady, where I live in Somerville, and she gets so many kids excited about uh, playing tennis. Let's see, her name's Susie Wimberly. She's just a fantastic synapse, a fantastic person to get the youngsters excited about playing, so all these kids are playing. And, and, and we've uh,
0: done we've done kind of a uh, below average job in tennis and uh, given those those coaches any sort of well, accolades. Well, well, right. Every and, and then I mean that, that those people are are there is genius is the ones that get them through to the top. I mean, if you find somebody that's like the Pied Piper that that you know that hundreds, excites
1: kids yeah, about being on the court, And and you know, level and that's, 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 level, that's the level one is That is we get a But level two is the the hard one. Level two is like, hey, I want to be good. I've been playing it. It's fun. I want to be good. Now, level two is your fundamental coach. And guess what? The adventure becomes a job. You find out, whoa, this is a hard, hard sport, and I got to work at it. So that person is, you want your more detailed person Mm -hmm. as level two, the fundamental coach. And, You know, so that that's uh, that's that's a
0: different person. Fundamentals, but they're not losing the heart and the passion that, no, no, that they got so. them in there. But the fundamentals are very important at that next level. As we get on to the next level, the the third level of coach, it's it's more about what coach. What do you see the there? The
1: motivator, the uh, the difference maker. It, it sends them to the uh, the uh, fast track, or not the fast. That's wrong that sends them to the, um, where, Get look, them up to the racing speed. Racing yeah. speed, that's yeah. what I was looking for. Gets them from cruising speed to racing speed. Now, that person introduces them to tournaments, starts coaching, not just teaching. There's a difference between a tennis teacher and a tennis coach. This person, the motivator slash racing speed coach, is the person who is a teacher slash coach. And then, of course, the last Level, I guess, would be what? I, what's your coach? To Pro- probably
0: setting goals and inspiring and and yeah. really giving pre-championship, direction. Yeah. pre-championship coach and then a championship coach. And the only thing I had after that would be you. You have coaches that are in a certain arena. Like you told a story to me a while back on how they, uh, you were asked to be the Davis Cup captain, and later on you got a phone call, well, Coach, you never played Davis Cup, so well, I, you
1: can't be in I ne- that I arena. never told that story, yeah. but with all humility, that's true. I did a Junior Davis Cup coach for the story. United States, nineteen eighty, eighty one, 81, part of 82, about two and a half years, and we were doing well. I mean, the first year we won every tournament and every match we played except two the entire summer our guys we got it rolling and we gosh we had to you could say we just had the to top players but we had 10 top players running every morning of the summer they were training together working together winning every tournament boy they became a force and 6 of them became top professionals and then the next year it went pretty well we won the US Open one year finals French Open and women's and then the next year we run it up in US Open and the, the the head of my boss he says, Look, he says, I believe that you will be our first US Olympic coach, he told me. And he told me that and you know, I'm I'm just, whoa, it's pretty good stuff. And you know, about six months or so he said, Look, I I told you that and uh you do you've done a fantastic job here, but actually don't have any professional playing experience. I said, Look, I understand that. If I maxed out here with the Junior Davis Cup, if I maxed out here with college coaching, that's okay. I've done. I, shoot, I, I I'm very proud of that. I'm just going to coach, plant where, grow where the good Lord planted me, and that's I'll be fine. That's what I told him, and I was good with that. But I've never told anybody that story, Coach. So I'm thank you for bringing that up. It makes me feel good. But the bottom line is, I maxed out. Two, I would have been, well, loved to have been Davis Cup coach. I would have love to have been Olympic coach, but the bottom line is I'm maxed out and But the thing is, I'm very, very happy to work with whatever's in front of me and whoever's but, in front of me and
0: and the thing is that that maybe we have one of the few sports that does try to do that that way, but there is some value yeah. in being a player in that arena. Yeah, but if you look at other sports, well, they she don't she quite do it that way. Didn't play pro exactly, basketball. they
1: didn't play pro basketball. Yeah, um,
0: you know, and, and, and there's other pro coaches out there that didn't didn't play pro basketball, and you know, same in I football. Politically, in the um, United States, they,
1: you so know, they they it, it's just well, it would, the way
0: it works. It so would take it time to understand that arena, like every one of these, you'd have to get certain reps in. But again, your your knowledge base on how to coach would would eventually be good enough to, to uh, be able to excel at that level. So, but there are coaches in those arenas. So whether it's a professional coach, whether it's college coach, and you get that experience, those arenas there's there's a certain skill set that it does matter. So that would be the the uh, the, the final level of coaches and. You know, it's very difficult. There are some out there, people that have been exposed to all those levels. Now, those guys are, are invaluable, and those are people, parents, you want to be around, you want to talk to.
1: Could I um, jump in there a second? Yeah. Just there's a lot of uh, championship pro-level coaches on tour, you would not want doing fundamentals with your young Absolutely either, not. Because they could not hit the heart of the youngsters at the right time. People who do that, it's like an elementary school teachers, God bless them, you know, because they, whenever they get the kids inspired to want to learn. So it works both ways and you've got to plant, you got to grow where the good Lord has planted you.
0: And that's where it gets confusing as a coach, or as a coach, as a a parent. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of people probably giving this information out, um, freely to parents and I think a lot of what we talked about boy I I would take note of because I think it's very important if you want to define a way to to come up with somebody that's really going to help your child excel in the sport these things really matter a lot but what matters the most is the care and if without the care none of this really matters so you could be deficient in some of these areas and really care for your your child on a lot higher level than somebody that's just on the surface and your child will still accelerate in that sport. But ideally this would be the way we would go about it, correct? Right,
1: right. Well here here's I guess the guide would be here. Be a parent first. Use your parent common sense and the love common sense but you know and and listen i'm not i'm going to just tell you pray about it ask the good lord to to help help deliver that coach after you told me to look for a horse whisper type person for my son's baseball my my radar sonar my uh laws of attraction whatever it's called my ras was locked in who is the right person not who is It doesn't have to be the flashiest, the best, who is the right person that will pour into my son or my daughter for them to develop an inquisitive heart and inquisitive mind and hunger to go through all of the barriers and all the hardships and everything that you have to do to be the best that they can be within their framework and and with what they want to do. The, the tragedy is when we try to program anybody. We are human beings. We are never meant to be programmed. These daggone computers are programming us. They figured out that daggone computers will never act like humans, so they're trying to get humans to act like computers. And you've got to, pro, you've got to give to the heart, nurture the heart, coach the heart. Find that person that will coach your son or daughter's heart. That, 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 that's it. That's it. And that, that's the one that will work
0: well thank you thank you coach for this i i I think that we have talked about a lot of great information today that's going to be very useful for parents out there as as they go through this uh this journey this great journey with their their child and um learning and 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 figuring out how to find the greatness in each one of them so i you know i I thank you for that. Is there any closing comments? No, you no, like that? just,
1: uh, Coach, listen to Coach Blumenthal's Coach's Corner every week. I'll, I look forward to listening to more. Coach, thanks for having me on. I certainly appreciate it. And I hope, I know this is going to save parents a lot of time and a lot of heartache, too.
0: Well, thank you very much. I'll see you back next Sunday. Have a great week.
1: Thanks, Coach.